Hello, it's Thursday, the 22nd of February. I'm Alex von Tunzelman and I'm putting on my top hat, tying up my white tie, brushing off my tails. Welcome back to Paper Cuts, the modern newspaper review. Every day we pile up the golden treasure, diamonds and pearls of the British press and swan dive into the bounty heap like Scrooge McDuck. Before we get going, thanks so much to all of you who've joined the Paper Cuts Supporters Club. You're superstars. We're a fully independent show and it's supporters like you who make this possible. From just £3.60 a month, you can get the show ad-free and there are extra funny bits available too. Cheaper than a bag of nuts? Get in, there's a link in the show notes. And I'd just like to shout out to our listener, Janny Armstrong in Stockholm, who's written to say, tell Alex that some of us got every single Wu-Tang Clan reference and embrace this bold new direction. See, John? <laughs> You're all fucking mad. <laughs> Janny got it. Stockholm represent Wu-Tang forever. Now, here are the top stories for today's show. Order, order, disorder. The House of Commons descends, or arguably ascends, into chaos over Gaza vote. Crimea River. The middle classes are struggling to get by on 60 grand a year. And, if you like this, we've got a bridge to sell you. The BT Tower has been sold off to become a hotel. Welcome to Paper Cuts. We read the papers so you don't have to. Thanks for joining us on Paper Cuts, where we're a complete Mickey Mouse outfit. I'm Alex von Tunzelman and with me today is journalist and Brian the Dog fan, John Ellidge. Hi, John. Hello, are you calling me a drunk? <laughs> you picked it. Am I calling me a drunk? <laughs> <laughs> and also with me is comedy writer who very strongly identifies with Wiley Coyote, Jason Hatesley. Hello, Jason. Aloha. <laughs> is that what Wiley Coyote says? No, it's says? not. I'm just I'm trying to find something other than hello to say in these bits, you know. <laughs> Got to ring the changes, haven't Liven you? it up. Yep. He says it in the Hawaiian dub. <laughs> well, yes, of course he does. Yeah. <laughs> John, what are the front pages looking like on the broadsheets? Uh, there's one story dominating today. Uh, Guardian, Fury in Commons, forces Speaker to apologise over Gaza vote chaos. The Eye, Commons chaos as MPs walk out of Gaza vote. Telegraph is uh, going uh, actually slightly more aggressive. Speaker on brink after walkout. Mm. And the Times has respect the menopause or be sued, firms told. Um, but okay. above that, uh, in slightly smaller lettering, chaos in the Commons as ministers round on biased speaker. Right. OK. Yes, all on that chaos. Jason, what about the tabloids? Well, the Daily Mail has got uh, a photograph of Lindsay Hoyle looking like he's having an aneurysm. Quentin Letts on dramatic day, Mr Speaker, spectacularly self-destructed. But their main headline is bosses must make allowances for menopausal women. This is a very good story, by the way. I'm really pleased to see this. Right. Um, uh, we a... Menopausal women represent. We're all on the warpath today, yes, apparently. Yes. Got to respect us or get sued. The red tops are doing nothing about the story from the Commons yesterday. Not surprisingly, I suppose. The Mirror has Dell of a win, which is just what, a... What? Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm struggling to unpack this one, but it is a couple that won the lottery and celebrated like Del Boy and Rodney. Hats they what? bought a freewheel van. <laughs> Dressed so, up as Batman and Robin. <laughs> fell for a bar. <laughs> OK. I mean, yeah. Uh, We've all got papers to yeah. fill. OK. Um, the Sun... On the front page, King's Tears. The King has been reduced to tears most of the time by messages of support since his cancer diagnosis, oh, he said yesterday. 
Uh, <laughs> John! <laughs> well wishers have made me cry. I should point out that um, I, I quite... I'm not a monarchist, OK? Um, but, mm. the ki- but the king talking about his illness and now saying I've cried about this, it all feels like... This feels like quite nice to me. This feels Aww. like a nice version of things. And on the front page of the Daily Star, all together now... Proud of animals. Has, well, I there think is a dog. There is a dog the, on the front. Yeah. Cost of living crisis. Dumped dogs warning. Oh, no. Um, oh, God, I mean, we've sad. heard this story no. a few times. It is very upsetting, though, isn't it? There is a, a tribute to Ewan Ferguson on the front page as well. Gervais in tribute to Big mm. Keith, the actor mm-hmm. from The Office. But the main story is liar, liar, pants on fire. More than half of us tell whoppers on a daily basis. And <laughs> Breaking it, uh, news! It, br- news? Uh, 18 to 24-year-olds are the worst for big fibs. <laughs> <laughs> but over 65 are as honest as the day is long, says here. No, what? And I know. That's, I'm not buying that. It's, a, it's, it's a parallel universe, isn't it, the Daily Star? Now, last night saw a right old Barney in the House of Commons. As the Guardian livestream reported when I checked it out at 6.30pm, the current situation in the Commons remains extremely chaotic and unedifying. John, what was going down? So I wasn't online for most of yesterday. <laughs> the first I knew about a lot of this was when our producer said, just checking your following because you're going to need to talk about it. Uh, and it was a bit like trying to start watching Game of Thrones with season seven. Mm, so I have no fucking clue what was going on. OK, so so far as I can tell, what was happening is it's a thing called an opposition day debate, which is when non-governing parties get to decide what is discussed and voted on. And because it never actually turns into government policy, it's basically a signalling exercise, mm-hmm. right? The SNP wanted to debate an immediate ceasefire in Gaza. That was their wording. That sounds pretty un- uncontroversial. But you've got to remember, this isn't going to make that much of a difference to events in Gaza and the SNP probably know that. So instead, this was widely seen as being a trap for the Labour Party, mm. which is so scared of being tarred again with accusations of anti-Semitism that it's being hyper-cautious in the language it uses around this entire debate. And it would be quite easy to split the party. And it is believed that that is what the SNP was trying to do. So Labour tabled an amendment which would have changed the language to an immediate humanitarian ceasefire. Right which it would have been easier to get the Labour Party to vote for. This is unusual. Normally, uh, a second opposition party wouldn't get to intervene on someone else's opposition day debate. Mm. Um, right, so the SNP weren't too chuffed. The SNP were not chuffed. Uh, there were various delaying tactics going on in the Commons while, while Keir Starmer was uh, locked in a mysterious meeting with Lindsay Hoyle, the Speaker. Where did they have the meeting? Did you read this bit? Uh, in in the reason room. The reason the room. What? Wow. Are you can't There's something quite seventeenth century about that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose outside the room is pure unreason. Yeah. <laughs> so reason can only be carried out in this small chamber. There's some debate about what was going on in the reason room, whether Lindsay Hoyle was being lent on in some way, mm. or also possibly Lindsay Hoyle was a Labour MP once. That's how system is. The speaker come is a former MP for one of the parties. So there's some question over whether he may have sympathies. Mm-hmm. Uh, but anyway, he eventually came out of the reason room and decided that the Labour amendment we voted on first. Uh, his argument was this is such an important issue that, you know, we really needed to hear from every side of this debate. And also MPs have been under a certain amount of, you know, physical threat of violence recently. Right. So, mm. so this was meant to be a way of draining heat from the issue. 
I think it's fair to say that didn't really come off. <laughs> no, um, no, didn't The S&P fly. and the Tories are all furious about this, mm. possibly uh, because this involves changing uh, long-established procedure, although I did see someone saying that it had been established ever since 1979, mm. possibly because it means like the S&P doesn't get opposition day debates very often. This was kind of letting Labour uh, take yeah. over. But also, let's be honest, it's possible those parties are annoyed because both of them have an interest in setting traps for the Labour Party. Right. So the SNP and the Tories all walked out. Oh. Um, the Labour motion did pass because there was basically nobody left <laughs> yes. to oppose it. Right. Uh, at that point, uh, some, some Labour front benches made a very gallant attempt to suggest the Tories have lost control of their own foreign policy, so there should be an immediate election. Um, but that doesn't seem to be constitutionally true. But anyway, now there is talk of a uh, no-confidence vote in the Speaker, Lindsay Hoyle. A few dozen MPs have signed a no-confidence motion. That's probably not going to take place till next week because now it's Thursday, half of Westminster. Mm has left to the weekend so it sort of depends on how angry they are once the weekend has passed you will notice that no point in in this narrative have have events in the middle east come into it or like what's happening in gaza doesn't actually sort of matter i think all this is it's actually a sign of how fucking powerless we are mm. that this is this is the thing we're arguing about. But it, it feels like no one comes out of this story particularly well. I don't know. What do you guys think? No, I mean, the, uh, the only person maybe who does come out of it well, and it's because he's so good at being furious, is Stephen Flynn. Hmm. Um, uh, that's the, M- the SMP leader. The SMP leader, leader yeah, in the Commons, right. yeah. Um, he was extraordinary. He was absolutely livid. He was so angry. Um, and there's something quite refreshing about seeing someone so righteously angry. Um, he ended up saying to the Speaker, um, I will take significant convincing that your position is not now intolerable. Um, yeah. Wow. But um, no, but, uh, John Crace writes very well about this today in The Guardian. Friend of the podcast. Friend of the pod, Crace. Mm-hmm. And he writes... While more men, women and children were dying in Gaza, all the big UK parties were using the conflict for parochial gains, all claiming they cared only for bringing the war to an end, all so detached from reality they couldn't even see they were lying to themselves. Nothing they said could make a difference so they could say what they liked. Now, Crace is normally nowhere near as cross as that. Mm. <laughs> He's a very good humoured man. Very affable bloke, yeah. yes. yes. And it does, it, it does say something that this has just made everyone cross. Now, I hate to break it to you that the middle classes are, according to some of them, broke. The Times has the story. Jason, what's happening? Story. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Yes. This is a a one-page piece in the Times written by Anna Maxted, who I had to have explained to me, about how she and her husband, as the headline says it, how we struggled to live on less than 60k a year. Hmm. And in fact, what happens is that in about paragraph nine of this, she says um, that they're actually on £100,000 a year now, so they're doing fine. Um, (laughs) Problem solved. So there's two things going on here. One is everything costs more money at the moment and people are struggling. Good fact. We can all acknowledge that. Um, The other one is... This is Anna Maxted writing a piece about Anna Maxted, which I gather she has form for. I believe she is one of these people who writes yes. But the main thing about this is that it's made John and I absolutely furious. (laughs) 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 Because of the amount of... 
Well, go on, go on. What? I mean, you know, because the thing is, on one level, I would say, yes, 60 grand a year is obviously a lot of money. But if that's your whole household income, if you're in London where, you know, average rent or mortgage might be 26, 28 grand a year. So this is this is what struck me about this. Like, there are a couple of points in this where, like, you know, there are moments of sympathy. Like, you know, there are, there are a couple with three, three kids, I think teenage kids. There's a line about how one of them is sleeping on the sofa now because they won't share a room. It's like, this is a story about housing crisis, basically. These, yes, these are people, yes. like, doing As ostensibly usual. quite well, but they cannot afford enough space for a not ridiculously large family. And there's there's a you know there 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 is real not hardship is too strong a word but there you know things are not easy on formerly middle class incomes right. because of the housing market even before you get to the cost of living crisis because of the cost of childcare because of all these things and yet she manages to write it in such a way that she entirely loses the sympathy of the <laughs> sympathy of the reader. There's a great bit where she says. Um, one Friday night, a nine-pound bottle of wine caused a hair-raising domino effect. It's like, I don't believe that's true. <laughs> I don't know what this hair-raising domino effect is. I would like it explained to me. Well, you know, anything could push you into overdraft. Yeah. Not terribly uh, far if it's nine pounds. There's a bit when they're talking about how the joint income is now over 100k. It says, depending on your viewpoint, we're either rolling in wealth or barely scratching a living. That doesn't <laughs> on your viewpoint. <laughs> no. Like, you can make an argument that £100,000 a year doesn't go as far as it used, but you are not barely scratching a living. That's not true. No, you're really fine if you're a hundred grand a year, definitely. My luxury is my remaining cat, Heathcliff, who eats quality cat food and prawns. He is the gift <laughs> that keeps on taking. What the fuck has Heathcliff ever done to you? I, also, why is he eating prawns? I can't Eating the prawns, prawns you bought him. Yes. This is a line that I didn't understand as well. I couldn't watch a police drama because I was too envious of their jobs. <laughs> what? what of police jobs? Actors? What are you talking about? I think she's talking about pension provision. Like, to be fair, you know, uh, as a yeah, freelance yeah, journalist, yeah. I yeah. worry about this a lot. Yeah, yeah. Tell you what, the cops have got I, that one, yeah. I don't get to retire after 30 years. No. no but on the other not. hand, I'm very rarely in physical danger, so... Yeah, yeah there is that. Yeah. There's just something so unappealing about the middle class writing about being middle class. I don't know what it is. It's not even, this piece does not even suffer from self satisfaction, which is the usual crime. But there's just something so unappealing about it. But it is the gig. Like, this is the job she has been yeah. set. Like, I think probably she knows exactly the effect this is going to have and this is the intention. I don't think she is writing some of those lines thinking, poor me. I think she is. She, she just knows what she is expected to do, right? Mm. Yeah, I guess so. And, you know, it's working because here we are all talking about yeah. it in precisely the way they're hoping. <laughs> now on Paper Cuts, we love to honour the ancient and marvellous craft of headline writers. And, uh, Jason, you've got the sun today. What have I've, we got in there? I've got the sun. It's not a golden selection, but, you know, here goes. So, on page 15 of the sun, Russia has torn up a historic trawler agreement that uh, we, the British, had with them, which allowed us to fish for cod and haddock in the Barents Sea mm -hmm. um, under the headline Cod's Wallop. Yay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I think not, that's quite a classic. Really. I mean, what the wallop doesn't really work, does it? That's well, the no, thing you're getting wallopped by I'm constantly editorialising these headlines, aren't I? <laughs> um, page three of The Sun is a bizarre story about Wayne Rooney who when he was when his wife was dealing with whatever she was dealing with he got talking to her barristers and decided he'd like to have a go at law mm. so he went to apply for a law degree uh, at Nottingham University and the headline is Rue hits the bar 
What? Yeah. The, the bar is in, you know. Kind of, yeah. Rude. Yeah, but yeah. We're, yeah, it just like, I mean, my, my mind's just gone to the Disney version of Winnie the Pooh. Yeah, so. yeah, I was yeah. Like, it's, it's yeah. the rude bit that I'm, yeah. I, I get the hits the bar, a nice little football reference. They've got, the, I mean, they've got, they've got the also runs on here as well. The, the stand first at the top is Earwig Go. Oh, yes. Well, actually, um, I quite like that. Not bad. That's and right. uh, the speech bubble is Call Me Room Pole of the Bailey. I mean, they're trying That's much hard. better. That is better. It is, isn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah it is yeah, better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they've called him Wazza underneath. So is it Wazza or Wazza or Wazza? I mean, he doesn't, he doesn't suffer from good uh, nicknames, does no, he? No, he doesn't, no. Um, okay. And page 23 of The Sun. <laughs> now, here's where the fun starts. Um, something went on in a Belfast nightclub. Well, um, where some older women got very excited by some younger male strippers. Well, um, I do need to read you a little bit of this. Up to 40 women of all ages rushed to the front and engaged in, quote, disgraceful sex acts with <laughs> nude performers at the end of the UK <laughs> Pleasure Boys Double XL Tour event. <laughs> Enjoying it so far? It's marvellous. If, if, if we had time, I'd just read you this whole piece. Um, <laughs> Anyway, the headline is Thong Arm of the Law. <laughs> oh, I'm into this one. <laughs> and John, you've got the Daily Star. I do. I do have the Daily Star. So page 10. This isn't a story. Let's be honest. The story is, it was raining <laughs> and a bit windy. And they've got a picture of, they've got a picture of a woman with, uh, I think it's fair to say, probably about 40% of an umbrella. Mm, I've been there. <laughs> yeah, and the, the headline is My Poor, P O U R, My Poor Brolly. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. They just they just wanted to run the picture. They did. Honest. They did. And finally, from the headlines, page 19 uh, Soap such as EastEnders may be made by AI within three years, according to one of Britain's top filmmakers. James Hawes, who directed the Gary Oldman spy series Slow Horses, told MPs that artificial intelligence would soon be able to make shows without any human input. I make no claim to know nearly as much about TV production as James Hawes, but I don't think this is true. No. I think it's this bollocks. sounds like a thing that's not going to happen. Mm. Uh, but anyway, the headline is, Bot Cotton is Ender Writers. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. Uh, Bot Cotton. Cotton is quite yeah, good. Yeah, I'm there Bot with Bot Cotton. Cotton. They've got yeah. June Brown as the Terminator, which oh, I like. That's, that's good, oh, yeah. Nice pieces of coming out of her eyes. Some good Photoshop going but on Bot there, Bot yeah. Cotton is Ender Writers. What? Ender Writers. Like underwriters? Ender. Oh, is the end of writers. Yes. But that doesn't make sense. <sighs> no. No. We should never we should never scrutinise these things. No, too don't closely, don't look we? too closely. It's fine. I refuse to believe that there is no one on the editorial team at the Star who listens to this. Like we talk about them every day. They <laughs> are know. listening to this show. I would like them to write in and explain what the fuck they think they are talking about. <laughs> we keep, I keep I've said this before. The Star, can you please invite us into your office? We want to come round and see what a lovely time you're having because it's clear from every page of your paper you're having your best lives. <laughs> <laughs> we do really love you, it's re and we are very proud to love animals. Good news, your favourite history nerds are back. 
week. Yes, we at We Are History have been trawling the history shelves of our local bookshops. Well, I have, John. You mostly went round finding your books and moving them to the front of the displays. If I can find them, it's a bonus. We are ready to tell you all about what we've learned, from the revolting French to some revolting women. Via some Brits abroad and a foul-mouthed Irishman. So, download We Are History. Our laughable attempt at a silly history podcast. With me, John O'Farrell. And me, Angela Barnes. Wherever you get your podcasts. Now, welcome to the warm, fuzzy softness of the features sections, and please watch out for the hidden spikes. And today we're leading on the story that the BT Tower, Telecom Tower if you're old like me, Post Office Tower if you're old like Jason, has been sold. John, who's bought it? What's happened? So, uh, it's been sold to a group called MCR Hotels, who own lots of fancy hotels in New York. Um, London architecture fans will remember that uh, the tower of whatever vintage you want to, whatever name you want to give it, <laughs> uh, was for many years the tallest building in London by quite some distance, all mm-hmm. the way till 1980. Uh, it featured very strongly as a plot point in a 1966 Doctor Who serial called The War Machines, <laughs> uh, in which it was being used to control minds and turn people into fascists. It was very important to carry microwave signals from London to the rest of the UK. It was a symbol of the 1960s, of, you know, the Harold Wilson white heat of technology stuff. And we don't fucking need it anymore. So it's being <laughs> sold to uh, an American hotel group for, for nearly £300 million. Pounds, uh, and they are getting Thomas fucking Heatherwick. <laughs> One of the most annoying architects who have ever lived, and that's fucking saying something, let's be honest, <laughs> is going to be uh, turning it into an upmarket hotel, although they do not currently have planning permission to do this, so it's largely, largely theoretical. Isn't this fantastic? They've oh, spent £275 million on a building and they haven't got permission to do the thing yet. And it's grade two listed, so they might not get permission. No. Tell you what, you couldn't get a mortgage on that. I mean, that is that is pretty mad, isn't it? Thomas Heatherwick, of course, you say, uh, has form in London. Thomas the, fucking Heatherwick. To, uh, sorry, I forgot his middle name there. Thomas fucking <laughs> Heatherwick. Um, you know, this it's is more the, of an honorific, really. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thomas, comma, fucking Heatherwick. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, he was the guy who designed the ill-fated Garden Bridge, which never made it. No, despite never having, uh, I believe I'm correct in saying, uh, neither he nor his firm had actually designed any bridges before. And well, I think you could tell that when won, you looked at the plans. You could. He yeah. won, the, won the support of then Mayor of London, Boris fucking Johnson. Mm, another um, one. Yeah, he also, uh, he was behind the, um, the, the new route master for London. Mm, yes. Which, which I'm going to stand up for. I think that's a good design and it's functional. It's a shame they closed the back door. I mean, they closed the back door because you you needed a second staff member to stop people falling off the back door. No, you don't. Just let them fall off. What's wrong with that? It's their fault. Toughen them up. Health and safety. (laughs) Health and safety. (laughs) Um, I'm really pleased that something is going to happen to this building, though, because it's a... It's uh, iconic. Yes, B, yes. if you've ever been up to the top, to the Revolve, um, which used to be the restaurant, it's absolutely fantastic. The views are extraordinary. Apart from anything else, it is not like the buildings in the city of London, surrounded by other tall buildings. So you can stand at the top there. You can stand still and you will go round by 360 degrees in about 
just 22 minutes, something like that. You can see the whole of London. It's fantastic. And, and when I went up there a few years ago, it was on an open event. Um, I just came away heartbroken that this place wasn't open to the public. You know, mm. people should be able to go up there and eat. Like you can go up the Fernsehturm in Berlin. There's a restaurant up there. You know, this is this will be wonderful. It will be a brilliant restaurant. It will be worth going to. Now, the interesting thing is... The building itself, but one of the reasons um, that it's not needed anymore is because we don't need to broadcast microwave signals all over the UK because the post office tower was part of a a network called Backbone, um, which would broadcast information a bit like, exactly like we now put information through optical fibre lines to other places in the UK. And it had, and a friend of mine spoke to someone who was, deep inside the Ministry of Defence or something a few years ago. And he said, Ooh. he said, yeah, right. The thing is, it was designed so that if Russia ever got a bit trigger happy, we needed to send data to other places to have it copied, a bit like backing up from a hard drive. So we, there was a hard drive in the post office tower. The stuff was sent out via these microwave horns to other places. And then this hard drive was designed so that it would drop the entire uh, length of the building and slam into the basement. So the what, data for any, was for so, any reason. So or the, just so the data was destroyed there, ah. but it was kept somewhere else out of London. It was known as yeah, it was a classified location because of this this defence use. Well, so we had to had, pretend right? it didn't exist, even though there yes, was no, we it. literally did. <laughs> right in 1993, Kate Hoey stood up and used parliamentary privilege in the House of Commons to reveal where it was. <laughs> Even though it it had been the tallest building in London for the first, whatever it was, 24 years of its life. And the restaurant at the top was run by Butlins. It was. (laughs) It was. But, God, I just urge everybody, um, Google the menu. The menu is a work of art. It It is trying so hard to be upmarket. I mean, it was upmarket for its time, but it just looks extraordinary, you know, because everything is in French. Mm. Le melon frappé. <laughs> um, there's even a bit at the bottom where it says minimum charge and then couvert charge. Oh, it's so well. classy. It's so, it's delightful. It's absolutely delightful. And that's the end of today's Paper Cuts. Thanks to John Elledge. Thank you. Thanks to Jason Hazley. Thanks. Don't forget the Paper Cuts Supporters Club. From three quid sixty a month for all of this, fewer ads, more of the good stuff. Head over to back.papercutshow.com and follow the link in the show notes. We also want to thank you, our supporters, for making this show possible. Uh, it's thanks from me to uh, the delightfully named Mary E. Brod and also Kate Edmonds. Thank you both so much. You complete me. And from me, it is Jenkwe and Nazdrovye to Kelly Wilde and Caroline Lake. And I'd like to give a big thanks to Andy Davis and Matt Perry. Matt Perry? Yeah, probably not that one. Yeah, but still, you know, thank you, Matt. Um, (laughs) Sorry about the confusion on that front. I've been Alex von Tanzelman and you've been listening to Paper Cuts on a day when boffins have revealed that Michael Gove is merely the world's second largest snake as an enormous 26-foot anaconda has been discovered in the Amazon. Scientists were able to determine the snake was an anaconda when it revealed that it don't want none unless you got buns, hun. See you tomorrow. Paper Cuts was written and presented by Alex von Tunzelman with Jason Hazley and John Elledge. The producer was Liam Tate, assistant producer was Adam Wright, and audio producer was me, Jade Bailey. Music is by Simon Williams, design by Jim Parrott, with original art by Modern Toss. The executive producer is Martin Voitosh, managing editor is Jacob Jarvis, and group editor is Andrew Harrison. Paper Cuts is a Podmasters production. Paper Cuts.